Hello and welcome to the Health People's Club podcast. We are back. We are on season three, episode number five. And Sarah and I today are super excited to um, welcome to the show Tabitha. Hi, Tabitha. Hello. Thank you for having me. Um, we were away together recently at a, a women's creating change event and we have we've been networking, we've been connecting and we're so excited to have lots of conversations with all of the inspiration women that we met, um, Tabitha being the first one. So we cannot wait to get this conversation going. And um, Sarah, I'm going to hand over to you to just maybe introduce the title of today's show. Perfect. So um, we're going to be talking about today, we're going to be talking about storytelling, um, what we can learn from sharing and listening. And we're going to be talking about what's your story. So Tabitha, I think a great way to start would be for you to tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, where you were and where you are at the moment. Oh, wow. We only got 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so I am currently a psychologist and part-time CrossFit coach, have a bit of a pa passion project on the side. And I'm really interested in educating people in the health and wellness space. Um, I think there's a lot of stuff that I wish I knew growing up and that would have been really helpful for me growing up. And I think the more that we talk to each other and tell each other our stories, the more we can connect and learn and live healthier and happier lives, basically. Thank you Absolutely. so much. And Tabitha, as well, um, where are you um, currently with your coaching? Um, how long have you been coaching for? Where are you coaching? So I have been coaching for almost two years now. I first started out coaching at Form Leads, which was fantastic, really great gym, fantastic standard of coaching. I was really, really fortunate to start shadowing and then become a part-time coach on the side. Really, really loved it. Um, I got a new permanent job and that involved a move down to Norwich. Tried a couple of gyms like Goldilocks, found Crew Fitness, which is another great gym in terms of coaching. And I've actually got my first breath work and then CrossFit class on Saturday. So I'm really excited for that. Oh, fantastic. And we're excited for you. Um, I assume that kind of the psychology and physical fitness of CrossFit and the breath work and all the other things you're doing really complement each other quite well. Yeah, I often find that when people are struggling mentally with like anxiety or depression or anything, we tend to treat things in isolation. So if you can afford it, you get a therapist. Um, if you can afford it, you go to the gym. And if you're lucky as well, you can go to yoga and learn how to regulate your nervous system. But we're doing all of those things in isolation. And when you go to the gym, you can actually still have those feelings of anxiety. So it's how can I regulate my nervous system in every setting? So I really want to look at a holistic approach that combines mind, body and breath, um, just to treat it all together rather than in isolation. Fantastic. Yeah, 100%. It's like when you actually look at the definition of health, like the official one, not the one that we might give it ourselves, but by the World Health Organization, it's like the physical, mental and social elements all together. So I love that you're combining the three and making those connections. Um, so thinking about our titles, so our title includes storytelling 
And I am super interested in storytelling. I did a little bit of work. Um, I can't remember the, the name of the lady, but it was to do with teaching. And it was how, like, many, many years ago, different cultures used um, symbols to actually um, replicate stories. And it was how we, we remembered things. And it was also how we developed empathy for both human connection and also nature as well. And it was super fascinating. So when you mentioned storytelling, honestly, like my eyes lit up. Um, and yeah, I just wanna ask you like, so why, why do you think storytelling is actually important? So I ended up studying psychology and social anthropology at university. So kind of mind and culture. And in part of anthropology, there was this emphasis on storytelling because that's how, you know, before we could read or write, that is how we passed on knowledge to one another. And it's like you say, um, you bond as a group through stories because you develop that empathy. It's perspective taking. So I often find in, we live in an increasingly disconnected world. Technologically, we've never been more connected, but socially, human to human, we're so disconnected. And especially with Instagram and stuff, I don't know whether you guys find it, but in the, in the social media space, when you look at self-help and self-development, it's all, it can be motivational, it can be educational, or it can be like how-to guides, like five ways to do this and but the problem is I never really connect with any of that stuff. Like if I see a inspirational quote or an affirmation, I think, oh, that's nice. But it's not doing anything impactful because I'm not really connecting to it. And the way that I've connected in my personal experiences is through conversations with people and hearing, OK, so this is what happened to you and this is what you did about it. And it also gives you context for how to apply that advice and guidance because I find that, you know, these instructional things, these affirmations, they can be a bit like horoscopes. And if you don't apply it in the right context, you can actually apply it quite inappropriately in a way that's not actually helpful. So I think that storytelling, it allows you to connect to the person and connect to the message. And ultimately, it makes you feel less alone. Mm. I think we really experienced that. Celeste touched on it earlier in the intro that we all met at the, at the Women Making Change event um, at Forest Glow CrossFit, um, which is run and owned by um, Oakley Hardwick. Um, and we were there and we met um, last weekend. So there was so much storytelling going on. And I, what you just said then, Tabitha, is kind of exactly how I felt. I felt like that big, big connection versus the no, almost not, no connection that I feel often on social media. So that was so, so interesting. And what do you think we can learn? I know what kind of I took away from that event, but as individuals, what do you think we can learn from sharing and listening? I think how to be vulnerable, how to really connect and how to be honest with each other. I think a lot of the time we don't open ourselves up to the conversation because we've got a fear of rejection. We've got a fear of looking stupid. How is the other person going to see me? And what that's actually doing is it's causing an emotional and intimacy block because you're never actually being your honest self. And if somebody know, doesn't know what you're thinking or feeling, how can they support you? If we don't tell somebody that we're upset and why we're upset, then that behavior is not going to change or the situation's not going to change. 
people can only go off what they know. And unless you communicate that, you're kind of backing yourself into a corner, I would say. Yeah, it's like that idea of having like an element of um, like emotional literacy. I know that like Brené Brown, I absolutely love her. I probably talk about her well too much, but talks a lot about being able to like label our emotions. And one thing that that I'm a teacher, I know that a lot of people know it, but just in case you didn't, um, is like one of the things I often try and encourage young people to do is actually label how they're feeling, just so that we can normalize like actually having conversations about them. Um, because I think quite often what we generally do is when we're asked the questions of like, hey, how are you? Like, there's just an answer of like, yeah, I'm okay. And that's it. And it doesn't really instigate a conversation of any depth. It's more of like an acknowledgement that somebody's like arrived in a room rather than an actual conversation. Um, so yeah, really resonating with everything you're saying there. Yeah, I think that's a big thing for British people. We ask people, hi, how are you? And it's more of a greeting rather than actually a concern. So it used to be a thing that at my old job, when someone would say, hi, how are you? I'd tell them the answer <laughs> and they'd be a bit taken aback, but it meant that it opened up a conversation and love Brené Brown. Atlas of the Heart is an amazing book because it talks about all these different emotions. I mean, a lot of people only know happy, sad, angry, frustrated, like quite surface level emotions. And the thing is, we might be feeling that surface level emotion, but actually it's about something else. It's something deeper. We just don't know the word for it. We don't know how to name it. Mm -hmm. And I've often found in my conversations with other people, and this again is the beauty of that human to human story connection, you can help people articulate what they're feeling. If they don't have the words, you can find the words for them. And I've found that that gives them such relief and it makes them feel less alone in what they're feeling. Cause it's like, I'm not mad about what I'm feeling. It makes sense to you. Um, and that makes it make sense to me a little bit more too. So I think love that book. Yeah, I, I, I also absolutely love that book. Love it, love it, love it. Um, but one thing to spring to mind then is, is it also enables the person to have, um, well, it, it allows them to recognize that you're listening to them because you're, you're basically, if you're listening, you're truly able to like understand what they're saying. And then you might paraphrase that and give an emotion as well. And then you've not tried to solve any problems, but you're just saying, it's kind of saying to them, like, I heard you and I'm with you and I think I understand you. And if you say an emotion and they're like, mm, not quite that, it might also help them find the emotion that they are feeling. So, yeah, I think we should really try and encourage and um, role model doing that even more. And Tabitha, if, I, if you don't mind me asking, um, when thinking about the kind of line of work you've gone into and also your passion project at the moment, what's your story? What brought that on? Was there any big defining moment in your life that, that kind of had made this happen? Yeah, so um, growing up, I had been doing all the wrong things for all the wrong reasons. Um, I grew up in, in a private school and I was in an environment where success was your grades. It was how well you performed. It was, are you on the hockey team? Are you on the cross country team? Um, 
can you do all these different things? So I defined my worth in relation to how successful I was. And that drove me down a career path where I went to university. I got my undergrad. I got my postgrad. Um, and then I was striving for a job that I thought was my dream job because it had a status to it. And I joined the Army Reserves because that was going to be good for my professional development. And then I began officer training because I had a qualification and that's, you know, the status that comes with being an officer. It's really elite. It's really respected. So by societal definitions, I was succeeding, but I was miserable. I was having panic attacks whilst on exercise in the army, um, whilst on exercise with the army. And I was totally miserable. I hated it. I didn't enjoy my job. Um, I didn't enjoy the reserves. And my partner at the time said, why are you doing this? And my response was, oh, because it's good for my CPD. And, you know, it'll get, me to where, it'll get me to the next achievement and to where I want to be. And he was like, but why are you doing it? It's making you miserable. And he loved his job. He would come home and he would say, doesn't feel like working. And I wanted that. I was like, I achieved everything I thought I wanted, but I feel awful. And he encouraged me to change my definition of success because the meaning I was giving those achievements was defined externally. And what I actually needed to do was define success according to myself and what feels good for me. So that led me to do the CrossFit qualification and become a coach and it's now putting me on this pathway where I am investing in my passion projects I'm building a website I'm engaging with the women making change community I'm trying to do stuff that is successful on my terms and feels good for me so I would say that the defining moment was achieving what I thought was success and feeling awful and realizing that I had to make a change in how I was defining success. Wow. Wow. I first of all want to say like, I, I feel like you should be super proud of going through that process and, and like, you know, like you said, your, your partner at the time, um, questioning, you know, can you, can you reframe the word success? Um, what, what, pressure do you think come from society and like societal norms and also maybe like your schooling and expectations from others around you um and do you think that is why you had the idea of what success looked like because of what society had told you it was yeah he was the first person to ask me why I was doing something mm -hmm. and it took me until I was god how old was I I'm going to say 24, but I'm, but I'm not too sure. <laughs> Age starts to blur at this end of the spectrum. Um, he was the first person to ask me why I was doing something and what it meant to me. Mm -hmm. My parents had never asked me. The school had never asked me. I was at a private institution that was really concerned with how many people it sent for, to Cambridge and Oxford. And it was 
just giving you the opportunity to go to university. We didn't get told that, you know, there were apprenticeship schemes or there's other stuff that you could do. So we were put on this like success pathway as defined by the school. Um, like if you get great, great, great grades, then you can go to university and that's good. So it was so imprinted on me by the setting I was in. And I think what kind of scares me now, we didn't grow up with social media. And what scares me now is you see on social media all these pictures of what success is in terms of like a Rolex, Dubai, it's so materialistic. And I'm worried that nobody is challenging that narrative. Where is the education in schools? That is, I don't know if you've ever, you know, heard of Simon Sinek and Find Your Why. You know, where is the education where we're talking about what do you really want? What matters to you? Forget what society is saying. Forget what your parents are saying. What makes you feel good? And if you don't know that yet, go try a load of different things. Fail. Fail spectacularly and be okay with failure. Because for me, when I was surrounded by success, failure was shamed. Like failure was a negative. And you need to fail in order to succeed. And that really impacted my decision to walk away from the army reserves. I made the decision. I asked for a leave of absence and it took me a really long time to actually say I'm leaving because everyone around me was saying, you're making such a big mistake. It looks so bad for your career, but no one was asking me how I felt. No one was asking me whether I was happy because they weren't interested in that. They were interested in my profile. And I don't know whether that's a generational thing. I know that financial security and job security was a big thing for my parents. So that's perhaps why they never asked. Um, but I think there's a real danger in not asking the question of why are you doing what you're doing? Mm. Yeah, it's like we constantly tell people, oh yeah, it's fine, like we're all different, but we're preparing everybody the same way for the same outcome but not everybody, <laughs> the, the same outcome. So like you're saying there about reframing success, like success doesn't necessarily look the same for everybody. And I love the idea of, of asking that question, like, why? Why are we doing things this way? And ensuring that we're not getting the answer of, because it's always been done this way. Um, and, actually, and actually reframing that. I, I think a lot of people are going to, well, I know we talked about storytelling, which is really ironic, but like so many people are going to hear that story that you've just shared and probably go, wow, me too. And I hope so. honestly, I will play this to my <laughs> and to their parents. And I like, I'm quite lucky. We do things slightly different. So when I'm having these conversations, I always feel quite confident that I, I work in the type of place that does support students in, in the right kind of manner. But like, actually, that's not necessarily what's happening at home. What's not what's happening in like the, maybe all of the classes. I don't know. And I think it's a really important question. Like, why? Why are we doing it this way? And what does success look like for me? For me, not for the internet, not for a blue tick on Instagram not because I'm trying to fulfill my parents' dreams that they didn't, <laughs> that, you know, they didn't manage to succeed in. It's really like, what is it inside that, that, that sets us up and makes us feel happy? Like you said, like 
you were doing all of these things, but you didn't feel happy inside. It didn't sit right with you. So where is the, the opportunity to look inwards rather than always be looking at the, at the outside? Yeah, and I think that also ties back into storytelling because it's the story we're telling ourselves about what it means to be successful. The story we're telling ourselves about what it means to fail. You know, it could be, for example, I'm successful when I have a Rolex, a Ferrari, all these really materialistic things. But why are we telling ourselves that story? Because society tells us or because that's something that's actually going to bring me joy? Yeah, one, yeah. Of the, um, one of the best conversations I've ever had with my stepson, who's 13, and um, I can hear them in the other room now, so it made me think of this. Um, he, he actually hasn't just asked this once. He asks this all the time. I'll be home, coming home from work and Joe will be coming home from work. And he'll ask me, do you enjoy your job? And I'll say, I do, and it doesn't actually feel like work. And he'll say, it doesn't feel like work. And you get paid for not feeling like work. I was like, yeah, I do. And then we'd, we've had conversations about what I did in the past and whether I was happy doing that and how different that is. These conversations are probably the most important conversations I'll ever have with him. Because if he comes home and we have a conversation about, I don't know, something on the curriculum at school, of course, that's important. It's, that's not as important as this to me. Uh, in my view they are the conversations that I feel like need to be happening at home and in the classroom hopefully but I mean Celeste you know more than that than I do but at home definitely and I wonder then how much those conversations are happening you know if it's just in my house or whether it's other people's as well I think yeah. also for adults to to hear this question too so like if people listen to this podcast also ask ask yourself why like why why are you doing it this way and also think about how that's impacting other people around you like what message are you giving to people you're a role model to and whether that be like your your children your friends children like whoever that might be someone's probably being impacted by the way you're framing success um but yeah no one ever yeah no one ever asked me same as you Tabitha you know I I, I went to uni and I got in loads of debt. I'm still in debt because I decided to go abroad. So I didn't pay my student loan for ages, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, so I'm, I'm doing something completely different now that I wouldn't necessarily you need that degree for. But yeah, I just don't ever remember being asked. And when you said that, that really rang true with me. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's just not something that happens. Um, I'm hopeful that as we become more emotionally aware as a society and also more comfortable having deeper conversations. I think there is a British resistance to the emotional intimacy that comes with meaningful conversation, but that's where the richness is. And I think in terms of asking the why, I think it's really good to ask those questions. But what I think sometimes people then forget is because we focus so much on success we forget about the failure aspect too, how it feels to fail, because fear of failure can actually stop us taking that first step. And I think sometimes failure is the more important thing, because in order to succeed, there's going to be failure. It's the scientific method. You know, if it doesn't work once, you figure out what's gone wrong and you try and try again. Um, and I've really tried to apply that to my coaching and my training. Because I remember my partner at the time is a fantastic coach 
and he wouldn't let me throw a tantrum if I failed a lift. I really wanted to, and I tried to, and I would get really upset and I'd get stuck in my feelings because I was like, this means I'm a bad lifter. And he's like, no, treat failure as feedback. Why did you fail that lift? What can you do to change to try and be successful next time and make sure you nail it? So I'd be like, right, okay, this is where it went wrong. This is where I'll try and fix it. Overcorrected it, failed again. That's okay. Dial it back. And it's using failure as feedback and not as this character assassination, not as this I am a failure. Let's remove the I am from success and failure because success and failure is a fact. It's have you achieved X? Have you not achieved X? So treat failure as feedback. And then it becomes a lot easier and it takes practice. I love that. Um, and also just to say, I think you just summed up my weightlifting career. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing about CrossFit. It is the beautiful thing about CrossFit is like you can always get better. Um, and it's the most frustrating thing about CrossFit. You can always get better. And I think he really humbled me because he was saying, even professional lifters fail most of the time. Because if you're not failing, you're not learning where the weaknesses are. Mm. And that changed my relationship with failure. Now, I look forward to failing a lift because it shows me where I'm doing something wrong. And that gives me the opportunity to be more effective next time. Completely. And we can look at that in all aspects of life. I love, love, love that, you know, that the way of saying that for relationships as well you know when I, I have a lot of conversations with friends and stuff and they say oh you know this failed relationship this failed relationship and I'm like it's beautiful you learn from them and you you know maybe you make those mistakes again that's all right <laughs> but eventually you do learn along the way right and you that's what we're supposed to be doing because that's what we've been given this life for yeah and I think what drives the fear of failure is this idea of perfect. I realize we're probably incorporating like a gazillion podcasts into one here. <laughs> but I think the idea that we need to get it right the first time and that we need to be perfect. And it comes back to how if the meaning attached to achieving that goal or the meaning attached to failure comes from outside of us, we're letting other people dictate our identity and if we don't achieve that then they think I am bad or I'm not good enough whereas it's not that case if it comes from within you you can't be impacted by it so much you become a lot more resilient and then the idea of perfect is created by you ideally it wouldn't even exist because perfect doesn't exist mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, oh, yes, I, I totally, totally love this conversation. I love the directions it's going in. It's, um, it's brilliant. But I think the idea of perfect and the idea of how we frame success are actually like really interlinked because quite often we're saying success looks this certain way, which is how I idolize perfect. But there isn't a perfect, there isn't only one way and actually to achieve anything, we're going to have to fail one million times first. And I, f I can't remember what podcast I was listening to recently, but 
was actually talking about talking to like a very successful business person and they were explaining like how they got to the point that where they were at now and they were saying you know there's never an end goal like we don't really know where we're going but they were saying but even to get to this point I can tell you now like I have failed so many more times than I have succeeded and I think from the outside also it's quite easy to look at that person and be like oh yeah well they've made it or they've achieved this certain thing but it's again comes back to this idea that like we have no idea the story behind how they got there and if we truly understood everybody's story and we were open and we shared our feelings um I think it would give I don't know I just a much more authentic version of life where we would all show up like as we are with with no expectations I think it was Andrew Tracy Sarah who said what did he say um no expectations high aspirations yeah I think it was I, that yeah I think that's quite quite nice as well when we're thinking about like a failure um and and yeah trying to reframe the idea of success yeah I think yeah. so many wonderful this is why this is really nice Tabitha because we've had lots of conversations on the podcast where we've kind of touched on this and you've gone you've gone more in depth with it so thank you so much and I feel like that kind of going in depth like you have is going to be really, really, truly helpful for people because they'll be able to connect with you and this. I really hope so. I think my aim is to humanise success and failure. And it's like you were just saying, Celeste, when that person who you view as successful actually says, well, actually, I failed a lot to get here. I find that, and I don't know whether you find that as a coach, but when new people come into the gym and you're moving well, they're like, God, I wish I could do that. As if it's something that's unattainable and they're never going to be able to achieve. And it makes them feel bad because they think it's unattainable. And then when you normalize it and you say, I've been exactly where you are. I have failed so many times to get here. I actually knocked myself out doing an Olympic lift <laughs> and gave myself concussion. <laughs> so I have failed spectacularly at lifting and then as soon as you admit that it humanizes you and they think okay maybe I can get there because if they've been where I am that means I can get to where they are mm. I yeah. love one of the statements that we've got on um our our doc and it's uh, making friends with failure and my question is in, in it could you just summarize like what can people do to make friends with failure detach from it. A lot of the time we treat failure as a reflection of our competency, a reflection of ourselves and our ability. And that's not true. Failure is a fact. It just means that the thing that you wanted to achieve hasn't been achieved. And that's okay. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel disappointed. But don't get stuck in those feelings. Don't stop those feelings from moving you forward and I don't think I said that right don't let those feelings stop you moving forward is what I meant to say and again it's just reframing it as like failure is feedback just like they say rejection is redirection we need to not tie the emotions to it that we do and embrace it own it say yeah I failed I'm happy I failed because it shows me that I was doing something wrong. I have so much more respect 
for someone who will admit that they've failed and hold themselves accountable than someone who won't. I would rather be in the hands of a doctor who has failed and learned from it than someone who has never failed or won't admit to failure. Because to me, that is more dangerous. Completely. And I, you know, I think that like we keep going back to these kind of events that we, we went to the other week and I went to another one um, hosted by Noble a few days later. Those were the best conversations when we were, uh, you know, mixing and networking and chatting. They were the best conversations when people would be saying, wow, God, how did you get to where you are today? And then I hear someone go, oh, well, I fucked up quite a few times along the way and now I'm here, which, you know, I'm pretty happy to be here now. And so those conversations to me, like the honesty like you were just talking about is the most important thing we can be and do, especially as we keep going back to role modeling as well. You know, we can't be, I don't think, a successful role model unless we kind of, you know, say that, yes, you know, I've messed up before and, you know, this is where that this is what's got me to where I am now. Yeah. And I think it's important not saying this is how I failed so you can avoid failure. Mm -hmm. It's important to say this is how I failed because I'm human and humans fail. It's what we do. Mm. Yes. And I think that's actually an important message because quite often when we do fail, what we want to do is jump in and solve everybody else's problems. That's never the answer. No, I think, well, it, it comes back to how you can support people. Um, a lot of the time when people reach out for support, we go into fix it mode, but that's not necessarily what they need. Sometimes they just need you to listen. Other times they need you to just hold space to make it a safe space for them to feel that emotion. And I think if we go to fix it, we're not necessarily giving them what they need. And it's the same with failure. If we try and protect them from failing or fix it once they've failed, they're not really gonna learn because they don't have to deal with the emotions and the consequences of that failure. And then they're not getting that feedback. And we are creatures, we evolve, we adapt. If we're preventing that adaptation, we're never going to evolve as humans. We're not going to evolve as people and who we are. And Tabitha, when we're talking about, we touched on it earlier in the intro, but breathwork, psychology and CrossFit, how have each of these elements supported your personal healing and health? And also, probably I'd like to go into a little bit, how have they supported the healing and health of your clients and your members and maybe even your loved ones as well. Oh, that's a, that's a different podcast entirely. <laughs> <laughs> so I think psychology has allowed me to approach things with curiosity rather than judgment. So instead of thinking, how could somebody do that? I think, why? Why have they done that? Why have they behaved that way? How can I understand them better? Um, and I think there's a lot to be said for approaching things with curiosity. And CrossFit has given me this community of like-minded individuals where there's no judgment. I'm not embarrassed to fail in front of them because I feel supported. And it's the discipline that people have. It's the support. It's the cheerleading. 
it's given me the social environment that I need. So psychology has taught me how to under, understand myself and other betters. That made no sense. Psychology has taught me how to understand myself and others better. CrossFit has given me that environment to grow. And breath work has taught me how to make my body safe for me. Because I think we all go through stuff in life. And, you know, we have these fight or flight responses and it's called the stress response cycle. And if we can't complete that cycle, the energy can get trapped. And when I experienced a lot of anxiety in the past, at times I would find that I'd just stop breathing and my body didn't feel safe to me. And breath work allowed me to say, this isn't happening to me. I have a degree of control. I can regulate my own system. I can make my body a safe place for myself. And that's the kind of emotional aspect to it. But there's also the degree of performance aspect to it. So when we breathe properly, it can improve our recovery. It can improve our sleep. It can actually stop us snoring so it can improve our relationships. Mm -hmm. um, so teaching people how to feel, how to be okay with their emotions and approach things with curiosity to really understand why they behave the way they do. Showing people how to truly connect in a meaningful and supportive environment and also how to function, how to be in control of their body and their nervous system, how to influence it. I think it comes back to what we're talking about, the, uh, talking about at the beginning. It's identifying every aspect of ourselves. We have a body that we can influence. We have a mind we can understand. And we have people we can connect with. Coming back to the question. Yeah, that I feel like that comes back to like you you've really connected the dots there with each of the three points. And um I think especially what you, one of the thing one of the books that I read, um, well actually listened to, I should say, uh, relatively recently was um Breath by James Nestor. Mm -hmm. And that that really had me rethinking a lot of things. And even just one of the statements that, that was made in the book about, you know, it's the first thing we do and it's the last thing we do. Yet we pay it no attention in the middle. Um, and I think that's a, it's something that I think we could all do better. And we I hope that we all start to talk about more. Um, and I love the way that you've connected that to sort of, you know, managing your own emotions and uh, regulating your own breath. Um, and taking ownership as well of, of, of the, the state of your body and your nervous system. And in regards to the CrossFit as well, I couldn't agree more. Like everything you said about, you know, building building those connections and, and having that supportive space. I think, again, we keep talking about the event that we were at. We clearly really, really loved it. But um, it was just a prime example of putting people together who didn't didn't know each other beforehand we've got this a same like common interest which was crossfit and this the space felt so safe people were vulnerable people were open people were welcoming were warm um and i think that is a huge credit to to the crossfit world and and just how it can be so amazing and life-changing yeah definitely 
my um my best friend always says that you're the product of the five people that you keep around you and I very much believe that having the opportunity to go to a space where the people are passionate, supportive, caring, they will be your cheerleader, even if they didn't know you two seconds earlier. And at the end of the day, you've been in it together. Um, It was one of the things that I loved about the military. Like when you were freezing cold and starving and hungry and you were in pain, you were in it together. And that unity gives you strength. And it's why things like the 180 Project are so impactful because it's giving people the opportunity to find a community that gives you all the things that you need to grow. I always say people are like plants. You need the right environment in order to grow. And I think that everything that CrossFit gives you, you know, the personal strength, the social connection, it gives you the environment for growth. It truly does. And Tabitha was just talking about the 180 Project um, just then. That's um, something we're going to be talking about a lot more on the podcast. And we're going to hopefully get somebody on to the podcast um, who works within that charitable space. Um, so, yeah, please look out for that one because it is going to be an, yeah, an absolutely it's an absolutely amazing story. It's an absolutely amazing charity. Um, Tabitha, thank you so much. Again, I feel like that's everything you've just said so many people will resonate with. Um, I'd like to ask you, and I think this might be quite a big one for you, um, and I feel like this is going to be quite a good one for the listeners as well. What do you know now that you wish you were taught at school? We ask everyone that, and I just feel like you're going to have, yeah, a pretty good answer to this one from what we've heard so far. Oh, God, no pressure. No pressure. (laughs) I feel like everything you just talked about actually could answer this question already, so just feel free to add any little tidbit you've got. What I know now that I wish I knew then. Mm. Sorry, there might be a bit of a delay with this one. That's okay. We're thinking things like kind of, you know, lessons learned along the way, things like that. And we like a delay. It means you're thinking about it, which we love. It's because there's so many. There's so many things that I wish I wish I knew, but I wouldn't change any of it. Because if I didn't, if I had known it, I wouldn't have made the mistakes that got me to where I am now or things would have happened that got me to where I am now. So that's why it's a tricky thing to answer. Um, I like the no regrets, though. No regrets. No kind of. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. All lessons. So the thing that I wish I had been taught. which is something that I have taught myself and hope to teach others is understanding myself. Who I am, my emotions, understand what's going on with me. Um, When I'm lashing out, why am I lashing out? I read Hold Me Tight by Dr. Sue Johnson and it was just a revolutionary book for me because it was the first time that I understood me, that I was a person. I wasn't just, you know, I'm not just Tabitha. I have substance. I have, I have values. I bring something unique. Um, so maybe self-awareness. Um, I wonder whether that is 
what captures all of those things. I think it might well do. As you were saying that, I thought for myself as well, that's one of the biggest things, the biggest life changes for me was self really, Yeah, Yeah, really understanding yourself because it allows you to connect to who you are. And as soon as you understand yourself, I mean, it is a constant process understanding myself. <laughs> I don't think you ever stop, but I've been particularly drawn to spirituality because anxiety made me feel really disconnected from myself. And these external achievements and this external drive for success made me feel really disconnected from who I was. But I struggled to find my way back because I'd never thought, who am I? And that's what spirituality really is teaching me at the moment. And it's how we find our worth as well. And, you know, I can only speak on a personal level, but finding my worth changed my entire life. It changed my relationship, the person I decided to be with. It changed the job I do. It changed the way I treat myself the kindness I give to myself and others, absolutely everything. Thank you. I am working on that one as priority number one at the moment, because I think as soon as your worth comes from with you, it can't be defined or dictated by the people around you. And I think that's so much, so powerful. Completely. And maybe that is, maybe that's what, you know, if I could give everyone a gift tomorrow, it would be that the self-worth or just, understanding yourself a little better and working on that like you just said just at least being you know being able to work on it and and even just acknowledge it yeah thank you so much I feel really touched by everything you both just said um and I think such a beautiful and powerful conversation I feel like we could literally talk all night about all things storytelling, success and failure and just sharing experiences too. Um, but Tabitha, we really appreciate you sharing your story and being vulnerable and connecting. And, and yeah, I, I really truly believe that the passion project, the work that you're doing is going to be so impactful to so many people. Um, and I just want to say on behalf of everybody, like, thank you. Oh, no, thank you. And thank you both for giving me the opportunity to come on and share my story. And hopefully it makes a change for somebody. I'm sure it will. Tabitha, thank you so much. Um, we'll be popping on the show notes um, where people can find you. But um, if there's any anything you'd like to add in that respect, um, where people can find you or um, the kind of things that people work with you on, um, please do let us know now. So I've recently started my new website. It has taken three iterations, so it doesn't look like a child did it. Um, so be kind, be gentle. And that is www.tabithamarley.com. And it's part journal, part blog. You can basically follow along me trying to figure out everything in my life um, and hopefully get some helpful tips for anything that you may resonate with. Thank you very much. And yeah, from myself and Celeste, again, thank you for sharing your story. And it was absolute privilege to have you on. Thank yes. you. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of the people who have tuned in and who are listening. 
we really appreciate you, your support. Um, and if you enjoyed this conversation, which I'm sure you did, um, please like, please share, please pass it to all of the people within your communities. And we will see you very soon. Bye. Bye.